0: Welcome to the Not a podcast. I'm your host Joe Chura. We are on week five of this journey, and I have a very special guest today. Greg Amundsen is on the show. Greg is a preacher and a teacher. What I mean by that is Greg is a pastor, and he teaches for the DEA, which he was once in. He also teaches and owns a Krav Maga and CrossFit gym. In fact, he was one of the founding athletes of Greg Glassman in 2001 when CrossFit was created, and then he went and opened one of the first gyms. We get into that on the show and a lot more. But to sum it up, Greg Amundsen is among the nation's forefront authorities on self-leadership and integrated wellness practices. He's been featured in Outside Magazine, among many other places. But best of all, what I love about Greg and why I wanted him on the show is he's is a storyteller. He explains things in a way where you just learn from because of the way he describes them through story, and he does not disappoint in today's episode. In fact, I think you will need a notebook or be prepared to listen to this a few times. We get into a ton of topics around overcoming adversity, leading from the front, stories around, of course, daily routines. I love hearing about daily routines and how people structure their days. But before we get into all that, please subscribe. Wherever you're listening or watching this, I greatly appreciate it. Please enjoy the episode. Today, I have with me Greg Amundsen. Greg is uh, someone I met a few years back at something called Unbeatable Mind. And it, it, you know, it's one of these things when you when you meet someone. And they have a casual conversation, and they just say a few words that make you think differently. And and one of the things I was talking to him about is this concept of uh, of don't stop. And what that was really built around is this vision or this pursuit of success. And at the time, I thought it was like a defining thing. And I was I was talking to Greg about it, and and I said, you know, my motto is don't stop. You just got to keep going and going and going. And he's like, I like that, but what if, what if you, uh, you change, don't stop to keep going. And I just like, those are, that is, uh, that's very good advice and it's very positive. (laughs) And, and that's what I, I've come to know Greg over, over the years through, uh, his, his books, podcasts, uh, we share mutual friends and I love his positivity and those and uh, and actually took those words and made a mirror so I could look into a mirror and it says keep going in that mirror and I credit that to you, Greg.
1: Thank
0: you. Um, so, Greg, outside of, uh, of that experience, is is best known for his, he has courses on goal setting, positive self talk, leadership, as well as an extensive career in law enforcement. He was a DEA agent. And, uh, and is now a teaching pastor, among a ton of other things. And one of the other, one of the other crazy things that, that I, I found out about Greg is he was one of the founding members of CrossFit. So I'd love to get into that story and how that happened and, and the, the lessons learned. But, walk, but uh, for now, welcome to the show, Greg. Not almost there.
1: <laughs> Joe, thank you for having me on the show. It's awesome to be here, brother.
0: So one of the, one of the things that I noticed was you write a book about every year? Is that or I mean you write a lot of books. I think what you have 7, 6, at least 6 or 7 books right now.
1: My eighth book recently You're, was released. Okay,
0: your eighth. Um I wrote down I wrote down 6 so far, but the the interesting thing about your your books is they're so different from one another. So you have uh lessons that you actually wrote a book on on love lessons which I thought was pretty fascinating, then Integrated Wellness, Biblical Truth, and Modern Day Leaderships, then a few parables, and then some fitness books. How, how did you gain such a wealth of knowledge around so many diverse subjects?
1: Well, although there is diversity at first glance across the spectrum of what I'm writing, as you dive into the content, there really is a unified theme, unified message about putting first things first would be the secular way of explaining the message. The sacred way, the theological way of explaining the message is seeking God first. When God is in first place or is the first priority, everything else falls into place, whether that be a love relationship like my first book or whether that be a fitness pursuit, like my middle genre of books, or now I'm focusing mainly on theology, even in theological pursuits, when we keep God in first place, everything else works out.
0: Was God always first place in your mind or was there a defining moment when that, when that changed?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, You know, God has always been a huge part of my life, faith, my relationship with Jesus, studying scripture. That goes back to my earliest childhood memories. My dad and mom were heavily involved in ministry and also very involved in physical fitness. So the integration of faith and fitness is all I've ever known. Now, that being said, there's been seasons of my life when I had misplaced priorities, That's what the book on my love lessons learned the hard way is primarily about misplaced priorities and the danger that can happen to anyone when those priorities are misplaced. So my goal is to keep God in first place. And ideally that's a goal I can daily accomplish Although this side of eternity, it's also a goal that takes a lot of willpower (laughs) because there's so much temptation. (laughs) There's so many things that can distract us.
0: Yeah, I know that that makes a lot of sense. So how did you go from a DEA agent into becoming a pastor?
1: (laughs) Well, even when I was serving in the DEA, I served in the Army, I was a deputy sheriff, I was on a SWAT team, even in those capacities or in those roles, there was always an element of ministry that was guiding my life. I vividly recall during some of the perilous moments of DEA training, some of the perilous moments of Army training, before missions with DEA while on the SWAT team, I remember praying both individual prayer in addition to inviting others to pray with me. I also remember God using those seasons in my life to care for the pastoral needs of other people, the spiritual needs of other people. So it's almost as if those seasons of my life they were serving a higher purpose in God's kingdom than I realized at the time. Much of this now is as I look back over the steps that I've taken, I see, wow, the fingerprint of God was clearly impressed upon that season. It's the only way to explain it.
0: The, the first time I met you, you were giving a, or that day you were giving a speech. And I just remember thinking, what a good speaker you were and storyteller. Was that something that was derived from your, your learnings in religious studies or, or did you have that gift before that? And how have you crafted that? Because I think that's it's really important for people to be able to articulate themselves and you, you do it so well.
1: <laughs> Tell me the truth. I will believe you. Tell me a fact, I will listen, share with me a story, I will remember. (laughs) So storytelling is the medium that I primarily use in my teaching. That goes back again to my mom and dad. We didn't have a television growing up. So a big part of my childhood was listening to my parents tell stories. Then... Taking turns with my brothers, I was the oldest of four boys. We would take turns entertaining each other, sharing stories. So it's always been a huge part of my life. And to this day, it's something that I cherish. I love to share stories and I love to be on the receiving end of a good story. It's just so, so exciting to be involved in that. There's, I think, there's part of our brain that is, uh, predisposed to a rich learning experience when it's within the context or the framework or the shell of a great story. We're so drawn into the story that we're learning even though we may not realize it.
0: One of the uh, one of the things I've been doing recently, I'm on day 17 of this, but I created a 75 day challenge where I give a public compliment. And I do that and I push it out on social media and it's, and it's a, and it's a story. And and I was thinking about it when I first started this and I'm like, you know, it's one thing to say, Hey, Greg's, you know, Greg's an awesome guy. He's a great speaker. And you know, people are like, Oh cool. You know, everyone, everyone gives you a thumbs up and some likes, but when you tell a story around that, they remember it. And, Mm -hmm. and I think it means so much more. So, so I started, I, I created the first story and it ended up being like 400 words. And I've created a story since every day about someone that's impacted my life in a way. And it's, it's time consuming because you're kind of writing a, a book, right? Cause you're writing 400 pages or 400 words per day. And you're researching it too a bit because what I'm doing is going off a of memory and my, my photos, um, old emails, we just had the 10, 10th year anniversary of, of a company I created, a digital marketing company. And I'm talking a lot about my early employees that are still around. And it's it's pretty incredible. And it's so gratifying to go back. But I can tell you that by sharing that gratitude, which I know you talk a lot about, it because it, uh, the challenges are the challenge... Uh, There's a bunch of things in this challenge. A lot of them are fitness related. A lot of them are me are like all about me, right? Fitness, diet, all that stuff. But this one is just about giving and it's my favorite one by far because I make it I make the people feel like it's their birthday. Because what happens is I push it out there and then everyone else piles on of all their stories about those people.
1: (laughs) Joe, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's uh, awesome. It's an incredible thing. I don't know. <laughs> At the end of 75 days, I'm I'm going to need a break for sure because it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of mind share that goes into that because I, I want to make it as authentic as possible. You know, it's uh, there's certainly more than 75 people that have affected me in different ways, but, but that's a lot of that's a lot of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What a great project or there's almost a spiritual discipline quality to that as we as we mine for the great memories that we have that are including other people. You know, there's there's a gold mine there. Like that's a really rich practice. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, thank awesome. you. Well thank done. Thank you. So so one of the one of the stories that I heard from you um indirectly, so I think it was on your podcast, was about a little boy that you had um, you had spoken to his class. This is uh, mm. somewhere in California, I think, near the border of uh, Mexico, and um, you were wearing a police shirt. And he said, "He said, uh, you know, sir, I want to be a, a policeman." And then you went to go high five him or fist bump, and he he didn't want to do it. He 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 couldn't. Mm. And uh, and you turned to him and you were kind of like in shock. Like, why couldn't you do that? And then, um, long story short, it, it turns out that he he said that he heard from his dad that he had to grow up like him and his dad happened to be in prison for, for drugs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was very profound. And, and one of your many stories about, um, you know, the first thing I thought about was fatherhood and how to be a mentor for, for your, your children. But do you remember anything else from that story that, that grabbed you or have you, Cause this was, I think a while ago when you, when you told it, has that come up in your life anymore? And, and there's a lot of parents that watch this and I'm always searching for ways uh, and tips and tricks that we could all learn for parenting or guiding your, your children. Cause I know your father was a big mentor to you growing up.
1: Yeah. Great question. Great memory. What an incredible moment that was in my life. A lot changed that day. A lot changed in my life. I was at the peak of my career in DEA. I was also really, I was very familiar with the power of the mind based on life experiences and based on mentorship I had received. I read a lot of books on the power of the mind, although I never saw firsthand the sequence of events that happens to an undisciplined, unbridled mind. I saw someone at the inception of a deeply ingrained thought that given time would germinate and would lead to a self-fulfilling prophecy. I saw tangibly, objectively how it happens. A lot changed that day. I made a decision within a few weeks of that experience to dedicate a great deal of my time to teaching. At that time, mainly through the lens of metaphysics, the power of the mind. Now I'm teaching the same content. I'm presenting the same message through the lens of theology. It's significant that the very first word that Jesus spoke in a public ministry context in the Greek was the word mataneo. Now in the English, that word is repent. So think about all the negative connotations we have with the word repent. If you lead into a conversation with someone, Hey, repent, repent, <laughs> <laughs> those are like, that are fight words. Like, you know, how, how, how do we react to that? Um, in the Greek, the word mataneo means to change your mind for the better. So you see what that little boy needed. He needed a mataneo experience. He needed to have a mataneo moment. And hopefully I was able to provide that for him. He needed to repent. He needed to change his mind for the better. Because the predominant thought in his mind was, I can't be a police officer. I am going to be a drug dealer. And I'm going to wind up like my dad in prison. That was the predominant thought in his mind. And he needed to repent from that thought. He needed to change his mind for the better. And so to this day, I'm still teaching The same message, the same principle I taught, that was in 2011, on the border of Calexico and Mexicali. And I'm teaching that same lesson now through the power of the gospel. And it's a life-changing message. It's a life-changing message. We all need to be aware that there's likely something in our mind that we need to repent of. There's likely a thought that's just not serving us anymore, that we need to change but the key is not random arbitrary change; it's change for the better
0: so one of the uh, one of the things to go along with that I was curious about was since that moment, I'm guessing that because you spoke to a class, you may not have known that person and how. Their outcome was changed, but since then i'm sure you've seen people turn their life around. Is there a story that you can recall by someone looking into either God or himself deeper introspectively that made them do a pivot and um, and had it and had or is having a successful outcome because of it?
1: yeah, yeah the most compelling response I've received from the message that I delivered, someone mailed me from a prison facility on the East coast. Don't recall where someone mailed me a letter, an inmate mailed me a letter to my CrossFit studio. My gym is a very well-known location. It's also the, um, on the imprint of my books, it says Eagle Rice Publishing, 3703 Portola Drive. That's my address for my CrossFit studio. So this person had read my book, The Warrior and the Monk. It was part of the gym. I'm sorry. It was part of the, um, the prison library. <laughs> so they, they checked out my book, read my book, had a matineo experience. And, and wrote me a letter. And, um, man, it was, it was incredible. You know, this person's in prison for aggravated assault. They are looking at – I received this letter about a year ago, so I think they're still looking at approximately 10 years in, in this, this uh, correctional facility. But despite the length of time that's ahead of them in physical custody, their mind has been freed. So although their body is in prison, their mind, their spirit has been freed. And they had a life-changing moment when they realized that their own thinking was responsible for the outcome of their life. In other words, they were looking at the outcome. They were focused on the effect of their life. And it took that book to make them realize That they were responsible. They were the cause of the effect in their life. And if they want to experience new effects, they have to change the cause. And the cause of effects is right here, between our ears. And that message, no matter how we present it, whether it is in the form of a fable, the book this person happened to read, The Warrior of the Monk, is a fable whether it's in a fable, whether it's in the Bible, no matter how we share the message, the principle involved is astonishing. And very few people realize it. This is why the book, The Secret, was a multi-million-dollar overnight success. You start talking about the possibility that there is retained knowledge, secret knowledge, This is why Gnosticism was one of the early stumbling blocks of the gospel message, was the gospel message is so simple that people overlook it. Yet you present people with a secret teaching. Whoa, (laughs) tell me more. And the secret is simple, (laughs) right? Thoughts become things. That's the secret. Mm -hmm. But people don't realize it. It's just astonishing. Yeah, that message, by the way, thoughts become things. That's biblical. Above all else, guard your heart. For out of it, all the issues of life flow. What's the heart? Well, theologically speaking, that's your subconscious mind.
0: I I heard you say, uh, coincidence, there's no such thing. And that's story kind of reminds me of it, right? That that something is put on your heart for a reason and there's not a coincidence. And I've seen that in my life. And there's a door in front of you and you don't know why it's there. And you open it and you're like, whoa, I don't want to go in that room. But you, you go in it and, and it's not until you get out of it that you realize, or maybe not even until you're in four other rooms that you realize, hey, that was important for me to get here. Mm-hmm. And I love that message that you share about the coincidence. Um, the one that that strikes me is the the painting that you did, and you put it in in a coffee shop. So you you uh, you had a painting; it was hanging in a coffee shop, and a, a a a woman came in there to see it. And her, I think, father or mother had just passed, and she saw that painting, and um, the words on it were pretty profound. And And uh, and she was thinking about it and she thought, wow, that was a coincidence that I saw that. And your uh, I think your reaction to her when she came up to you and started talking to you about it was, you know, there's there's not. There's not such a thing as a coincidence. Do you remember the story?
1: I remember the coffee shop that's next door to my CrossFit studio. There was a painting display. I had just finished a series of paintings on I was calling it the word and it was it was biblical words that were superimposed and painted really big. And I only vaguely remember that, but I don't remember the painting, but I remember that there was a scripture verse superimposed, only a few key words that just deeply spoke into this person's life experience. And the only explanation when you reverse engineer the sequence of events that led to that moment is divine intervention. There were too many variables to put the painting, me, her in the coffee shop at the same time. It was God speaking into this person's life and a very healing message. It was incredible.
0: What do you make of... People that have negative or hard things happen to them, and look at, um, at God and start having doubts.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know it's it's one of the questions that we that we theologically and by the way the, theology right let's like kind of unpack that. Um, it, it's a word that, that literally means thoughts about God. That's it. Um, Although, rational thoughts about God. I should quantify what types of thoughts those are. I could look at a Ferrari and worship the Ferrari as God. That's not a rational thought. That's an egotistical thought about God. So it is rational thoughts about God. And what's interesting is everyone Every human has a theology. Even a proclaimed atheist, well, they have thoughts about God that have led them to deny God. That's a thought. So we can't escape our theology. And one of the thoughts that we wrestle with is if God is loving, how do we account for suffering? Right. I mean, how do we hold those two things in bottles? It would it would seem if there's a loving God, there would be no suffering. And I've wrestled with that myself. And one of the ways that I am finding a lot of success in teaching this subject and also conceptualizing this for myself, having lost both my parents Having lost loved ones, having gone through very tragic experiences, how do I account for that while still maintaining faith and love for God and believing that despite what's happening, God still loves me? And I like to use fitness as a bridge to move people from these deep theological ideas to something we can relate to. So think about CrossFit. I'm a CrossFit coach. I love my athletes. So one of the things I'll do for my athletes is I will increase the intensity of their workout by either adding repetitions or adding weight to the barbell or any number of other variables that create a greater opportunity for that person to gain strength. Now, as they gain strength, that becomes very uncomfortable, (laughs) I'm sure that anyone listening who's had a tough CrossFit workout or seal fit workout can relate to those moments in the workout where you think, if I do one more burpee, there's a strong likelihood I'm going to die. (laughs) It's like excruciating. This is so painful. How can this be good for me? But when it's done, We realize, ah, that workout, as painful as it was, served a purpose. I am stronger as a result of that experience. Absent that experience, I wouldn't be the person I am right now. And hopefully the athlete then understands that me as the coach, I wasn't adding weight or resistance or intensity indifferently. I was doing it out of love. Because I see the potential in that person. I want them to be the best version of themselves possible. So in my limited way as a coach, in this experience, I'm going to increase the intensity. Now, magnify that, and we see a role that God can have in our life. If God becomes that coach out of love for me, he will increase the intensity of experiences, of seasons of my life. Why? Because as I lean into him, as I put my faith in him, as he guides me through this experience, I ultimately, in the long run, am a stronger, better, however we want to quantify that, person as a result of that experience. And I can, I, I can now very concretely, objectively look back through the life experiences I've had. And while going through them, I didn't want to be in that moment. But now looking back, as crazy as it sounds, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it. Because it it, it took that experience for me to have the level of faith that I now have and to trust God to the level that I now do. So I went trading. That's
0: a great analogy, an example, which segues a little bit to what I was going to ask you about CrossFit. So 2001, you walk into the CrossFit studio. Greg Glassman is there, the founder of CrossFit. Help me understand how that thing all went down.
1: That was again like divine intervention. I mean I'll, 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 I'll lay it out for you because it's just it's just astonishing how if we you know if, if we open our mind to a supernatural reality Wow uh, C. S. Lewis explained it that you can go through life and, and you can either have the openness to miracles and experience miracles, or you can close your mind to the possibility and experience that reality as well. So I'm very open to the possibility of miracle, of divine intervention, of supernatural explanation. And this certainly is one. So I was a brand new deputy sheriff here where I now live in Santa Cruz County. And I I was overestimating my ability to single handedly apprehend criminals who were what should have been what was called a two-deputy response, meaning that this person, although one deputy could apprehend, it would be safer if two apprehended this person. And I thought, I can handle anybody. You know, I'm a, a brand-new graduate of the police academy. I've got all this training. I, I can do it. And that, that mindset got me into trouble. And I, I had a fight with a wanted parolee that quickly went from bad to worst. So bad the parolee was trying to take my weapon. I was able to squeak out a help call on my radio. Another deputy arrived and helped me apprehend this person. And as I was explaining this predicament to that deputy and then even in the written report, what I, what I was explaining was it felt as if I was fighting two assailants there was the physical assailant, the parolee. Then there was this other assailant that I could only label as fatigue. I was fighting fatigue because my mind was telling my body to do something that my body could not do out of fatigue, sheer exhaustion. And that exhaustion was a combination of the chemical hormonal experience of the stress of the fear and just the experience of that heart rate that was sustained for as long as it was. I had just never experienced that before. So I realized there's a major chink in my armor. And I started to try on my own to recreate a workout that would give me that same stimulus. And needless to say, nothing that I did on my own got even remotely close. Then one day, a friend of mine named Sam Radetsky he calls me and says, hey, you know, there's this rumor. Have, have you heard about this, this crazy workout program? It's at this crazy gym. There's this crazy coach that's organizing all this. And, man, Greg, these workouts, like, they could kill you. <laughs> I'm like, where do I sign up? That sounds perfect. That's what I'm looking for. And the number was in the phone book in the yellow pages. I call the phone number. It rings a landline into this gym. None other than Greg Glassman answers the phone. I introduce myself and ask him if I can come work out. He said, yeah, come tomorrow morning. He gives me the address. has to be here at 6 a.m. So the next morning, I'm on my way. And what's interesting is I'm driving up Research Park Drive. And Research Park Drive is two blocks away from where this fight had happened. And as I'm driving at Research Park Drive, I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute. This is my patrol zone. There's no gyms on Research Park Drive. So I, I find the address. And, it, you're, I mean, it's not a gym as far as my understanding of what a gym is. It's like a storage locker. <laughs> and I, I knock on the door and opens the door. It's great glass. I know, he reaches out and says, hey, call me coach. He calls me kid. He welcomes me into the gym. And, you know, as they say, the, the rest is history. I had my first workout. I felt like I was going to die. I collapse on the floor in a heap. Blastman comes over, you know, big smile on his face. He asked me if I want to do a second round. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I'm good, you know. And I, and I knew in that moment, I'm like, this is the holy grail of fitness. This is it. And I, I, I never looked back. You know, From, from that day forward, I, I really committed myself and 20 years later, not much has changed. I'm still a, um, an adherent to the methodology of CrossFit. I teach it. I travel all over the world, specifically teaching law enforcement officers the value of this program. To me, it's a life-saving program. It saved my life and it saved the lives of numerous other officers. It's an incredible program.
0: That's a great story. So what leadership lessons did you learn along the way there watching Greg kind of grow this business? Were you a part of, of uh, putting the word out there or how was your involvement in building the business?
1: You know, Greg used to say, Uh, Within within, It wasn't my first workout. I I, I think he wanted to make sure I did not die that day. (laughs) Uh, But shortly thereafter, when I was leaving the gym, he would say these famous words. He'd say, hey, kid, when you get home, knock on your neighbor's door and teach them how to fill in the blank. It would either be squat, rope climb, pull up, a nutrition lesson I'd learned. In other words, he had just taught me something which means I had knowledge that I lacked before, which would imply others lacked that knowledge as well. Now I have a responsibility to share what I learned with other people. Now, incidentally, years later, I would realize, well, that's the words of Jesus Christ. Make disciples of all the nations. So there is a phenomenal leadership lesson embedded within the crossfit community crossfit athletes from their first workout are encouraged are challenged are educated are equipped to share what they've done what they've learned with other people that lesson that we now have deeply ingrained within the culture of crossfit that goes back to the inception of crossfit that is how the program grew. Isn't that remarkable.
0: Yeah, I, I did not know that.
1: That idea that go share, and it's it's radical because it's in direct contrast, even opposition, to a common idea that many people need to mataneo from, repent from. Many people think. I need years and years and years of education, knowledge, experience before I can share something. Who am I to share? Who am I to teach? (laughs) Right? It's a radical idea that no, no, no. You just learned something. No matter what it is, go share that. Go share what you know. You have a gift to give. Go share immediately. Share the good news.
0: Did getting into CrossFit create your interest for martial arts? Cause I know you have your black belt in, in Krav as well. Mm-hmm. Was it around the same time or.
1: You know, within a week of finding CrossFit, I found Krav Maga. So I would heard about Krav Maga while in the police Academy, although I did not learn Krav Maga in the Academy. There was a San Jose police officer who was the defensive tactics instructor for my platoon. He was teaching us what was POST-certified defensive tactics. POST stands for Peace Officer Standards and Training. One day in a sidebar conversation, this gentleman, his name was Steve Pappenfuse. I, and I, I connected with him years later. He, he, he goes by the name Pappy, uh, just a phenomenal guy. Pappy says, you know, Greg, um, you, you got to look into this program called Krav Maga when you're out of the academy. And he, he used to tell me, you've got a chassis built for combat. You've got to look into Krav Maga. And, and that, that word Krav Maga just kind of got lodged into my memory. And about a week after I'm on the job with the sheriff's office, in the roll call room, there was a sign that was advertising a law enforcement Krav Maga knife defense course I think specifically it was called the Edged Weapon Defense Course by Croft Maga. And I'd already had my first CrossFit workout. I was kind of excited about this new journey into physical fitness. And I remembered, ah, that's what Poppy was talking about. So I signed up. I went. And that day, this was in Hayward, California. The instructor for that course, there were two gentlemen. One of them who became a mentor. His name was Londel Theus. The other was Alex Smith. Alex Smith was a deputy sheriff for Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Incredible guy. Lawndale, however, was, he was like Mark Devine. He, He had this command presence where when he walked into the room that day, I just innately knew that person, I need to connect with this person. This person is going to share with me Something that's going to change my life. And it wasn't just Krav Maga. It was something else. Some character that this man had and has to this day. That's just compelling. You want to be in his presence. Like Mark Devine. You are drawn to someone's presence. Like Mark or like Londo.
0: And Mark said, so in- I asked
1: Londo, hey, can I, can I connect with you? Can you mentor me? And he took me under his wing. He was a sergeant for Santa Monica SWAT team at the time. He was also the first American law enforcement officer to earn a black belt in Krav Maga. And he took me under his wing. And I would spend most of my weekend time, if I wasn't doing something with CrossFit, I would be in Santa Monica at Krav Maga Worldwide with Lawndale. And it it started a journey, a simultaneous journey, as I was going through the learning experiences of CrossFit simultaneously, I was going through these learning experiences in CrossFit. So they're they're I don't know one without the other. They're 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 that deeply connected.
0: I was going to say Mark Divine for those that don't know, he's a former Navy SEAL commander, owns uh, the brand Seal Fit, unbeatable mind, great guy. But you're right, he has that presence that you just want to be around, and you watch the way he leads. You know, I've been in. And, uh, you know, a few experiences with them, and it's, it's pretty incredible. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun.
1: So Let me, let me share this story about, about Lawndale. This is just – because the thing about these – there's something about the context of CrossFit or of Krav Maga or of SilFit that creates structure or framework for the deeper lessons of life that change us. So a pull-up won't change my life, but the persistence required to achieve a pull-up will. So I was going through the lead instructor development program with Wandale to become a teacher of Krav Maga, specifically for law enforcement. These were really hard three-day, eight-hour-a-day workshops, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday was always the test. And on this particular test, (laughs) Lawndale was the one administering the test. There were about 16 officers. And you would be going back and forth with your fellow officer demonstrating proficiency in these various techniques. And Lawndale would be working his way around the room, observing proficiency and expertise in these techniques. And these were exhausting days. So I figured out that when Lawndale... Is clearly observing me, like right next to me. There's no question that he's testing me right now. Oh, I was going all out, 100%. Boom, 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 like full power, full speed, full intensity. And then as, as he made his way to other officers, I toned it down. Like I, I had to survive another four or five hours of testing. So Longdale, he, he he was wise to what I was doing. And on one of the breaks in the test, he pulled me aside. He said, you know, Greg, there's two types of pain in this world. There's the short-term pain of discipline. There's the long-term pain of regret. That's all he said. He didn't need to say anything else. And I realized, man, Test three, two, one, go was back on. And from that moment on, I was dedicated to this day. I'm dedicated to this principle of short term pain of discipline. And that, that, and one is a Christian. He, he's a deeply um, studied man of the word of God. And what he, what he taught me is also a, a biblical principle that matters that are temporary need to ultimately be dismissed in greater pursuit of matters that are eternal. That's the underlying principle that he taught me that day. Just amazing.
0: Two words that I like to think about when you feel like giving up is remember tomorrow because, you know, when you're pushing hard, it's, it is painful, right? When you're on mile 20 in a marathon, it's painful. But if you give up, remember tomorrow, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're, i drinking and partying and having a good time. That's great, but remember tomorrow, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I that's think good.
1: that's good. Yeah,
0: good. I, I think that's that's right in line with that. Jesse Itzler. I don't know if you you know him, but Jesse Itzler. Awesome uh, I took that from him. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's super fascinating. Do you still practice Krav?
1: I do. You bet. I own a Krav Maga studio in Santa Cruz, so I own CrossFit Amundsen. And Krav
0: Maga, Santa Cruz. Nice. So they're right next to each other?
1: They're in the same building. In the same <laughs> building.
0: <laughs> Great. Yeah. So when when you have a CrossFit student, because I know many people that listen to this are on different levels of their fitness journey or in different paths even, and, or on, or in Krav and someone's giving up, what what have you seen, aside from just words, um, them Those folks be able to tap into to get through adversity.
1: A principle felt is understood. Nothing exists in a vacuum. So let me unpack this. If somebody cheats in CrossFit by either not being truthful about their repetitions or not running the full distance. They're building the mental muscle of cheating. Now someone could say or make the argument, well, sure, but they're not a cheater because they're just cheating in this context. Well, I would propose that that mental muscle of cheating does not exist within the vacuum of the CrossFit studio. So this person is developing capacity at cheating. If they're getting good at cheating in CrossFit, they'll be good at cheating in any other opportunity that presents itself to cheat. Now, turn the coin over for the positive application. Someone that even though they're going to come in dead last, nevertheless, is truthful about all their reps. They're building the vessel mantle of truth, which does not exist in the vacuum either. So given an opportunity in any other context of their life to be truthful, they will. So reasoning from that, a principle felt is understood. The principle of truthfulness can be felt. Just like the principle of persistence, accountability, loyalty, discipline, those principles can be felt. Where? In the CrossFit gym. So the CrossFit gym or the martial arts dojo or the grinder, to use the terminology of military training context, these to me are sacred places. When someone crosses the threshold of my gym, they're on sacred, holy ground. That's how I treat it. Because I'm going to teach these people lessons that far outweigh the temporary 45-minute experience they'll have in the gym. I'm going to teach this person about life. So people that come into the gym that are wobbling my primary duty as a coach or as a pastor is to get the person beyond those self-limiting thoughts because if I allow them to surrender in the gym what does that say about when they're faced with a challenge in life outside of the gym so Quitting, negativity, self-imposed, limiting beliefs, failure is not allowed in my studio. (laughs) It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. I can't allow someone to have a negative thought in their mind to manifest that thought in the gym. Because once that person's outside of my custody or control or influence in that gym moment, what happens if when they leave... There's some experience that happens in their life that triggers those same thoughts of, I can't do it. Right? Flip the coin over for the pod application. I get that person in my gym. I get them over something they didn't think they could do. They leave the gym. They experience something in life they don't think they can do. Their mind goes back to the gym and they overcome whatever it is is now in their life. Like, I take what happens in the gym really seriously.
0: That makes sense. I'd love to hear a story about this because this comes up often. So I'm leading a group in, in this this challenge and it's more mental than anything, but there's a physical component to it. And there, there are people that get to the point where they fail and they get discouraged. What do you, and, and I'm sure that happens even though, you don't want it to and despite your best efforts as a coach someone just taps out what's worked or what have you seen to get them going again
1: well let me answer this question which is great first by a story (laughs) share with me a story that's what I wanted (laughs) then the principle involved. So first, a story. We're speaking of Mark Devine. Mark Devine runs a camp called Kokoro, 50-hour full immersion camp designed to meet or even exceed the early 50-hour hellacious experience that a Navy SEAL would go through during Hell League. So it's designed to bring people to The breaking point. I went through this in October 2010, the morning of October 24th. That's how vivid this memory is. Friday morning, October 24th, 2010, at the Days Inn in Encinitas, California. 9 a.m., I step out of my hotel room wearing a white T-shirt that says Amundsen across the chest per the packing list of Kokoro with camouflage, woodland camouflage pants. Two seconds later, this booming voice, hey, are you going to Kokoro? I look across the parking lot. There's this huge guy, full sleeve tattoos, bald head, just massive, White t-shirt, camouflage pants. He says, me too. I quit last year. I hope I don't quit again this year. Those are the first words out of this guy's mouth. Oh. Oh. Well, needless to say, this person is the first person to quit. I was the platoon commander or the team leader. Mark Devine told me, if anyone quits in the first 10 hours, Greg, for you, there will be hell to pay. This guy was quitting within two hours, two hours. I did everything I could to get this guy to continue. I mean, I carried his rucksack. I, I could carry him, but I carried his, his weapon the weighted PBT, I carried his rucksack. I mean, I did everything I could. Every every tool I knew about positive self-talk, I employed. And it didn't work. And at one point, Mark ran up to me with another instructor named Chris Smith, Navy SEAL, incredible, incredible guy. And they told me that I was neglecting my flock or my team. And I thought, well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm back here with this guy that wants to quit. And I'm doing everything I can to keep the team together by preventing him from quitting. And Divine looks at me and points up the road to the other 28 candidates going through Kokoro. He said, that's your team. Lead your team, Greg. And I had that light bulb moment where I'm like, man, I've put myself in the back, in the rear, and that's not where leaders lead from. Leaders need to lead from the front. So I ran up to the front and led my team. So the, 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 the story is, is like compelling on a lot of levels, right? I mean, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of different paths we could take. What I want to focus on, though, is is this idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness. This has been a big part of my teaching recently, because this guy—I um, I wish I remember his name. You know, this this poor guy. You know, he had a lot invested financially. He had a lot invested emotionally. It took a lot of courage to to quit one year. And to come back another year, I mean, that takes a lot. But he had some some baggage that he was carrying with him. In other words, he he was already wearing a very heavy rucksack. And and Kokoro hadn't even started yet. And he needed to forgive himself for quitting. And and that's another way of saying he needed to mataneo. He had a thought in his mind about his decision to quit. And that thought was still kind of running his life. And until he forgave that thought and released the energy associated with that thought, it would be very likely that he would quit again, which is what happened. It was even, you know, I, I, I knew it was, it was likely going to be the outcome just based on the first interaction. Right. I hope I don't quit again this year. Think about what he just said. He essentially said, I'm going to quit again this year. You know, the the, the writing was already on the wall. He'd already programmed himself for the inevitable. That was just a matter of time. And so something that that is is just for me, it's like the tip of the spear. In, in in my own teaching, in my ministry, in my own self-mastery, is 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 recalling experiences in my life that I need to matineo. The way the matineo happens, the way I change my mind for the better, is I forgive myself. And I forgive other people. I forgive entire circumstances and situations. That are weighing down my rucksack, and I found that as I do this, and as I as I pastor and mentor other people through this process, this is astonishing. The the results, um, everything from um, physical healing of of what had been plaguing illness, sickness, to breakthroughs in achievement for things they thought they could never do. You reverse and you're like, what was it? What, what changed? Forgiveness. They forgave themselves or another person or a situation and their life was never the same again. They took the rucksack off (laughs) and life got a lot better when they did.
0: That's great. I want to unpack one thing that I'm so curious about so I know I know. Mark and the Navy SEAL ethos is never leave a man behind. So at some point, he must have realized this person's going to quit, which gave you kind of the permission almost. Because I know they're, they're teaching you that too, right? Like you're, well, you're as good as your weakest player. Life,
1: I, I was in the Army. Yeah. I was a platoon leader. I was a first lieutenant in a military police company. I was a DEA special agent the ethos of the army, the ethos of the DEA, I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. So I'm wrestling with that while leaving that guy as I run to the front of the pack. So on one hand, if there was a neutral third party observing, what would it look like? what would they observe? There I am with this one man leaving the major element unattended. Had I left them, it could look that way. On the other hand, as I leave this one comrade to lead the main element, am I leaving this one comrade It's something I wrestle with. I even wrestle with the warrior ethos of I will never quit. I wish it were I will always be victorious. I've discussed this with Mark Devine, unbeatable mind. Wow, I wish it were victorious mind. So it's something I wrestle with as well. I'd like to think that by leading from the front, I was still setting an example for that one man to follow, which is the essence of leadership. Lead from the front, set a positive example for others to follow. The visual illustration in the army, I love. It's called the minute man. It's an ancient emblem of a soldier with a musket in one hand, their left hand. They're looking over their right shoulder. They're giving the universal signal for follow me. And the only way that signal can be authentically given is if the people you are leading are behind you, which puts you in front of them. So follow me. And, This day in 2010, I really couldn't give that signal. I was in the wrong locality. I needed to relocate to the front. From that position, I could look back and I could give everyone the signal, including the guy that wanted to quit, follow me. You
0: know, often in business, and my company right now is about 650 employees, you tend to focus on the people that are the lowest performers to work on them and to try and get them up. And there's all these programs created called PIPs performance improvement plans and, and a lot of other things you spend a lot of your time on that yet the performers that you really want to keep around that you need around spend less time with them. So the story reminded me of that because it applies to a lot of things in life. Not to say you ever want to leave anyone. I want everyone that we hire to be successful and work out. But the reality is, someone and at some point you have to say, "I'm going to spend some time with the people up front,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's what you did there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, do you uh, do you have a daily completely different topic? But do you have a daily regimen now because you're an author? podcast host, you teach Krav, you have your CrossFit gym, Um, you're a a, um, preacher, minister, do all of these things. How do you have time to work out? How do you have time for Greg? And what does your day look like?
1: Mm -hmm. This comes back to where we started. Great question. Putting first things first. So, From the outside, because this is such a common question that people ask. From the outside, I imagine, whoa, it looks like this guy's going in so many different directions. How complicated. When in fact, it feels so simple. (laughs) Sometimes I think my life is just so simple, so basic. I put God first. When I do that, you know, it's, this is one of those, uh, there's no way I can explain it in the natural, because it's a supernatural principle. So when I put God first, in a supernatural way that I can't really explain, everything else works out. And supernatural implies there's a reality beyond the reality that we interact with, including the reality, the construct of time. So in CrossFit, I've become very adept at knowing how much time has elapsed. However, in the supernatural, I have no way of knowing. God can do something on my behalf in a nanosecond that would take me days, weeks, months. God can do it like that. So if I am empowered by God's spirit, I can do things in a supernatural way, which explains how I do things. Very often, if people ask me how, if I want to be really sincere, I have to say, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I just have to point to God. I trust in God. I spend time focusing on God. And he equips me, he empowers me to do what he puts on my heart.
0: So (laughs) that makes sense. Do you, do you have a morning ritual where you take some time for yourself? Pray? What does that look like? um,
1: So what I explained would be, that's like very subjective, intangible. Okay. What are some objective ways that I put God first? Like tangibly, what does that look like? Um, Well, when I wake up, the first thing I do is spend time in meditation. That's how I objectively put God first. I just close my eyes. I do a series of breathing practices that help to calm my central nervous system, to clear my mind. Then I focus the clarity of my mind on God. And I do that first thing in the morning, and I do that at approximately 3 p.m., which is why I told you, I can record up to 3 p.m. <laughs> so it's a morning afternoon spiritual discipline of literally stopping what I'm doing and in in the best way that I know how really putting God first like telling everything else this is secondary to this relationship.
0: That's great. Well, thank you for your time today. It's been incredible. And I know you have to get to your daily routine.
1: <laughs> it's almost three. <laughs> it is.
0: It is. But so many great bits of information here and, and, and stories. And I'm going to have to listen to this 20 times myself. I'm lucky I get to edit it and do that. But I appreciate you, my friend. It's, it's great to see you. How can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more?
1: Oh, thanks, Joe. It's great to see you too, man. Um, I'd say go to my website, com. From that website, they can check out my podcast, my books, my ministry, my mentoring programs. That's kind of the central hub.
0: Right on. Well, Greg, again, thanks so much. You have a great day and keep rocking.
1: You too, Joe. God bless you. Thank you, brother.
0: Thank you.